The following episode of the Movie Club podcast can and will contain spoilers. Please be aware of this before you listen. Thank you. Welcome to the Movie Club Podcast, the bi-monthly podcast where we gather from all the corners of the earth to talk about two movies, which may or may not be connected. This episode, we're talking about, um, I guess the theme is kind of the one crazy night thing. We're talking The Warriors and After Hours, and we're going to be starting with The Warriors, so let's go around the table, the virtual table, and introduce ourselves. Um, starting with me, I'm Sean from Film Junk. I'm Kurt from Row 3 and Twitch. I'm Jay from Film Junk and uh, the documentary blog. I am Andrew from Row 3. Can you dig it? <laughs> I'm Matt from Where the Long Tail Ends. And I'm Marina from Row 3 and Quiet Earth. All right, well, it's good to have all you guys with us. And uh, Matt, I believe you requested to do The Warriors first, seeing as you didn't get a chance to watch After Hours, so that's what we're going to do. Um, and this was actually, I think The Warriors was uh, the one that was voted on by you, the listeners. So um, hopefully there's a few people out there interested to hear what we have to say about it. Um, and if I remember correctly, I think I may have been the one who first put it up for, for voting and I don't really have a good reason for it I just kind of felt like this is a cult classic it's a movie that's influenced a lot of other films and a lot of people love it but you know I just feel like there's something something more that could be said about it maybe uh, it is planned for a remake and there was a video game so kind of weird um, but of course directed by Walter Hill uh, and it came out in 1979 I believe is that right Correct. So, um, so I mean, I, I don't really remember where I first saw the Warriors. I, I can't really give you my first viewing experience on this one, but um, you know, it's you always see Halloween costumes every year. It just it's kind of one of those movies that's permeated pop culture in a certain way. Um, why don't we kind of all go around and give our sort of initial experiences, impressions? Of the Warriors, I'll throw it over to you, Kurt. Uh, I guess I'm in the same boat as you, Sean. I, I don't recall when I first saw this movie. I don't think it was on TV. It, it may have probably a VHS rental. Uh, I certainly wasn't um, old enough to see it in the in the theaters. Um, and I I don't know. I didn't think much of it the first time I watched it. It's really clunky um but uh, it's one of those movies that on multiple viewings it really does grow on you the way it i don't know it just plays like a bunch of vignettes and and most of them are pretty solid i i i must admit when i f i didn't own the movie so when when we had to watch it i had to uh, track down a copy and i know a lot of people that had it but i still whatever i was i put it off to the last minute 
and then I just went out and bought a copy of it, and I was kind of surprised because I bought the uh, 2005 edition. It's probably the easiest one to find in print. Right. And they sort of special editioned it up and put these comic book um, transitional frames in. And, and um, well, I'm not a, you know, a huge fan of the movie, I, I must admit I, I liked it a lot better without the comic book frame. So um, my recent, my most, I've probably seen it four times, my most recent viewing um, was more from just a, wow, look what they did in a modern, like, tweaking uh, of the movie. Yeah, now was that, that was also called a director's cut, I believe, is that correct? That's what it says on the disc, yeah. Which is kind of weird. I don't, but. well, it's Walter Hill's request for all of this. It's, it is a director's cut. It's, but I agree, it's retarded. But, <laughs> now, but is this, st- you're retarded. <laughs> now, was this, Matt. Was this his original vision Are you kidding me? for it, or was this like something he came This up? was his original vision, but it's basically, you know, you, you go through the 80s and the 90s, and, and you know, it, it's like, oh, I, I always wanted to have those comic book things on there. I'm going to hire some shitty graphic artist to draw up these comic book frames, and we'll put them in using, like, Final Cut Pro or something, and they'll stick out like a sore fucking tooth. Tooth. <laughs> sure. The same? I don't know. It, it kind of reminds me of. Um, it, I got a sort of a creep show element, and I. Yeah, that's that's what I would have if it didn't feel like it was just like grafted onto this dirty 1970s uh, exploitation movie, and, and you know ends up looking well, like you know uh, uh, I don't know a uh, internet video or something. And the, the opening narration was supposed to be done by Orson Welles. Originally, and here we have Walter Hill doing it himself, which is he's no Orson Welles. <laughs> um, if you can't get if you if you want Orson Welles and, and you can't get him because he's dead, either you you go with Jane, James Earl Jones or you splice it together from his old. Yeah, you films. use like all the like the George W. Bush. My <laughs> son, uh, what is it? Bloody Bloody Sunday. Yeah. All right, well, I agree. my, I don't, my I don't bloody Sunday. I'm a fan of the opening narration, but I this movie, first of all, exploitation, kinda. I mean, it's not that gritty and nasty and dirty. It's far more like comic booky. So when they throw those transitions in there, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. And if you've never seen the version without it, um, without those in there, I it still sticks out like a sore thumb. I, the idea but is fine, okay. but but the I don't the, understand why that's okay that it sticks out. I think it it kind of looks cool. I, I think it looks uh, well, like just to nitpick. I mean, we're already we haven't even really got into this. Or, you know, we're just still doing the introductions. But to nitpick, the comic book art looks nothing like comic book art would look like when the film was made. Um, so what are you I, fucking talking about. It, it looks. Many, it looks like when you take something 70s? like an EC comic. How many, how many comics from the seventies have you read? You called down the thunder. <laughs> <laughs> I've read the. I this kind of shit from Kurt. I, <laughs> how many have you read? How many have you read? I've read the EC, a bunch of EC comics. Uh, I have okay. the uh, the Ditko suspense uh, collection that I've read, and and there's a good example. 
the re-release of the EC comics, they colorized. Well, it was they were in color, but they they dropped the half tone printing and had like an artist go in and paint everything using whatever Photoshop or Illustrator or whatever, adding like you know gradients and everything, which is a modern comic book style. In 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 the seventies, they would be using the half tone prints and and using color in that way, and that's something that can be easy easily replicated. And they decided not to do that. They're doing like that flash animation, you know, things moving within the the comic strips and whatnot. And it looks like something that you would see on the internet. And I'm I would be fine with it if this movie wasn't the Warriors, if it wasn't like shot in a certain way, if it wasn't gritty and 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 whatnot. But it sticks out like a sore thumb. The idea is fine, but the the way they did it, it you can tell they had no financial backing for this. They paid some shitty fucking... Well, maybe it was some comic book artist. I don't know, whatever. But it just it doesn't doesn't work for me. Well, I guess... money for any of this movie. I mean... Exactly. So why not just draw it, you know, take a picture of it, and then, you know, try to at least make it look like it's a part of the, the original film? Why does it have to be, though? Why can't it be its own thing? It well, it is its own thing, and it, it it isn't as good as the original. There's there's it's just some uh, modern yeah, I tinkering. Thought it, I thought they melded it pretty well. The frame would pause, and it would just slowly turn into a um, the comic book reel. Like I said, it reminded me totally of Creepshow, which only, which came out what maybe maybe three or four years after this. I wish it looked like Creepshow. It, to me, it reminded me of the Watchmen motion comic. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I to me, I, I always thought it was the exact same artist who did Creepshow. I mean, that's what it looked like to me. Well, whatever. I, I guess we like. I mean, I, I think it's good to point this out early on because I think a lot of people who maybe are trying to watch this movie now for the first time, this may be the version they see. So I mean, it's worth pointing out that those are new things. Sacrilegious. Um, the the <laughs> the narration <laughs> though is kind of interesting because. Um, you know, like I as I had watched it previously and not really known that it was apparently based on this um, uh, this yeah this book about uh, Greek Greek a Greek army that's behind enemy lines or something like that. But the narration lays it right out for you, so you you're thinking about it the whole time. I guess um, I haven't seen the new version, so I, I don't know. But yeah, I think it's based off of three hundred. Yeah, well, no, it's a different. It's it, it's it's different, but it's a different story. The but bottom it makes line me is, think is that the movie, the movie didn't have to make it explicit. It, it it's there, and, and okay, that's cool that Walter Hill and uh, you know whoever the, the the screenwriter was decided to take that uh, Greek myth and and run with it. But why why make it explicit? Let's just and, and, it's in the book. And why? The Warriors novelization? <laughs> no, in the actual book that it's based on, the, the Warriors novel, he's, and it is, it, it's it, explicit in it because he's reading, one of the main characters is reading a comic book of that story, of the, of the Greek myth, which is why Walter Hill wanted to incorporate a comic book setting within the frames of the film. It's, it's all tied It's just unfortunate that he didn't do that in the 70s. I didn't have Okay, well, so I, <laughs> not to harp on the comic book thing, but I mean, in terms of, uh, 
you know, it is, I think, laying that out there in the narration, it draws you to your conclusions about the fact that this is kind of a modern tribal kind of thing is what they're going for, right? And I mean, it's pretty obvious when you get into some of the crazy costumes and and things that the gangs are wearing, because I mean, it's not, you're not going to see a gang with baseball uniforms and their faces painted in real life, but... Um, but that's kind of what this movie goes for. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that sticks with people the most is the visual aspect of this film. Um, not so much the story or the, the acting, some of the action maybe, but I think the visuals are kind of the big thing. Agree? Disagree? Yeah. I, I think that the visuals in regards to the costuming and, and the, you know, the different gangs and whatnot is kind of something that someone could easily grab onto and, and, you know, say, Oh, that, that gang's my favorite gang or whatever. But, um, yeah. You like it, the mimes, don't you? I did. Yeah. I did like <laughs> the mimes. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So I, but I, I think it's, um, uh, a fun movie. I, what am I supposed to say when I first saw it? Sure. <laughs> Go for it. We haven't really finished that part, but <laughs> I actually saw streets of fire before I saw the warriors. Um, uh, I can dream about you. Uh, but I, I saw the warriors probably in my teens and I probably saw it on VHS as well. I know my cousin was a big fan of it and, um, yeah, it's just a, a fun, uh, I mean, it's it's basically um, the the gang version of Adventures in Babysitting, and um, it, I'm totally game for that. You know, that's a that's a good analogy. That's exactly what it is. Um, I, I think turn. Adventures in Babysitting uh, <laughs> laid a lot of groundwork. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great movie too, though. It is a great uh, movie. I don't know about you guys, but here in the States, I remember exactly when I saw this movie the first time, or at least parts of it. Uh, in fact, it was like it was like two Sundays um, in the, uh, whatever year I saw it. I was a kid. I was probably like 10. And over at my grandma's house, it was on like our local sort of channel, not like public access, but it was on a local, very local channel. And... Uh, just on a Sunday afternoon, like it was Easter Sunday or something, and we were over at my grandma's, and I here it is, and I only saw bits and chunks of it one Sunday, and then like a month or two later, maybe it was Mother's Day or something, I saw another chunk of it, and I didn't know what it was, but as a 12-year-old kid, that shit was awesome, and um, I so I saw these bits and chunks of it, whatever, and then years later, actually maybe about five years ago or something, I sort of, it just came to me one day, I remembered it, and I wanted to re-watch it, and I watched it. It wasn't quite as cool and awesome as it was when I was 10 in just those chunks, not really knowing what's going on other than it just looked cool. So, I, I don't know, as a whole, at age 35, it's not quite as badass, but I still like it quite a bit, and it was on all the time here, apparently, on local TV. Edited, of course, for language, but... Yeah, that's. I remember it being on quite a bit. Matt, did you ever see it on TV around here when you were a kid? Um, I I never watched it on TV. I know it played fairly often. Um, the first time Nine. I saw it, well, I didn't grow up here. Oh, oh, that's right. What channel was it on where you grew up? <laughs> <laughs> 
29. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's something I saw pretty young. I know I rented it, um, and I can't even imagine how many times I've seen it. I've, I've seen it at least as a midnight movie three times, and I know it's become a pretty popular film on the midnight circuit. And I've seen both versions multiple times. I own the DVD. I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to be on here because I knew Kurt and Jay would nitpick and bitch about the stupid fucking comic book <laughs> and mission and accomplished this, and I mean this sincerely to both of you you're idiots because it's awesome <laughs> and I'm so glad it's in there because it's a better film with it and that's all I have to say alright you can log off now I guess then <laughs> All I gotta say is you guys are all old, lame. Because I'm with, I, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually totally on side here. I, I saw this the first time, maybe two or three years ago, and I liked it the, from the first time I saw it. Only because it's really cool. I don't really have much else to say. The, the movie itself is kind of a, eh, but it looks awesome. Well, yeah, I, I mean, you're right. I think. Well, Sean touched on it already. Might as well what this movie really has going for it are the, the character designs and the costume designs and somebody sitting down and going, what kind of game can we... Cont-? This is why I'm looking forward big time to the Tony Scott version. Can't wait to see what kind of costumes and character designs they come up with. I hope they don't recreate them exactly. You know, it'll be... Probably. <laughs> taking Colin through one, two, three. But still, I'm still looking forward to it. I, so I think that, right? I, I mean, I assume... We're all sort of in agreement here that the, the fucking gangs and all their costumes are what's awesome about this movie, or at least the most awesomest. Thing. Well, I just like the the aspect of brotherhood and and helping each other get through a, a night of hell and and proving one's manhood and and just the the muscles. yeah muscles. Um, well, just just to so deep. Just to show like what a wuss I am and what I probably would have done in this situation, like the whole time rewatching it now, I was just thinking, man, why don't you just take your jackets off and go home? Like nobody's gonna stop you. <laughs> but <laughs> then there's that moment in the uh, when they meet the the girl, I think, and they and uh, with the orphans, I think, is the one gang they meet, and uh, they say, you know, take your jackets off and walk through. We'll let you walk through or whatever, and they're like. No, we don't hide who we are for anyone, and that's a pretty cool moment. And I mean, that kind of shows what what these people are, their mindset is. Even though, I mean, it's a pretty cartoony movie in a lot of ways. Um, comic book, movie. comic book movie, sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, one thing I want to bring up is the uh, the time period because I mean, this came out late seventies, um, which. You know, it's in New York, and I'm assuming around this time period was all kind of New York was known for crime and gangs and stuff. But I remember hearing um, that I think Walter Hill wanted to add something that said, like, in the future or something like that, that this was supposed to be set in the future. And that it, like, I don't know that it was supposed to be a period piece per se. I mean, any thoughts on that? And. You know, I guess with regards to how the remake might turn out as well. Well, this movie caused some hysteria when it was released. People were freaking out. And I think that seems kind of quaint because it is fairly visually outlandish. Uh, but I guess it still struck a chord. Probably the, the scene with um, 
Cyrus, uh, the 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 guy trying to unite everything. I, I mean, he makes a very compelling pitch um, at the near the beginning of the film where he's like, you know, we number thirty thousand. There's only fifteen thousand police officers, so we could we could just take the streets any time that we could get our acts together. Of course, that's not the movie that you end up getting, um, but that scene. It's the biggest scene in the movie. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of people in whatever uh, New York park they filmed it in. And, I mean, it's almost evangelical the way that speech is delivered and, and, you know, everyone's fired right up. Um, And I I think that's kind of your intro into the movie. And it's even trumped up because all of the footage like the actual beginning is the subway and them talking about what this meeting's going to be it 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 builds to almost a like a a climax at the beginning of the film before the actual film starts that may have struck people but i looking back at it uh this number of years i find that that this of all movies that like like you said has such a comic book tone with or without the the literal uh, comic book transitions even without them the, the the tone is never i mean like the, the when when the baseball furies come in and they're fighting like samurai with baseball bats like they're not even using a bat how you'd use it they're almost doing it like a sword fight yeah. um it just it just screams um this ain't even close to real so it was kind of interesting that it I think it got pulled out of out of a lot of cinemas when it when it played out because it was it was causing various forms of panic. Yeah, there were a couple things that I just uh, read about either on Wikipedia or IMDb. One, they said the poster had that tagline that you were talking about, where it said something like, you know, there's so many gang members and only this many cops and whatever. And they said they, I guess, people complained about that and they th- thought the poster was really threatening, so uh, they decided to pull that poster but then the other thing is when the movie actually came out in theaters i guess it was attracting a lot of gang members to actual screenings and there were a couple of killings um either at the screening or people on their way to see the movie or on their way back to see the movie so um a lot of theaters kind of stopped showing it or they added security and there was a bit of an issue with that although it may have been overblown in the media it may not have been as big a deal as they made it sound at the time um, but yeah, like, I mean, watching it, it does seem a little bit harmless by, by today's standards for sure. But, um, particularly the girl element, like that element seems strained at best. I, it didn't help the fact that the actress is a dead ringer for Rosario Dawson. And exactly I, that was, or, or the, or the, uh, or the other girl, uh, that does the striptease in Death Proof. I, I, I I don't know. I just found her character to be, I don't know. It just didn't really fit into the movie. Well, on the, the gang front now, again, this is sort of speaking as a 10 year old, but at this time, uh, late seventies, early eighties, New York was known for being really dangerous and crime ridden and dirty and gangs all over the place. Now, whether it really was that bad at the time, I don't know. I mean, it was pre-Giuliani, but that was what it was known for. And if you're somebody from Nebraska and you watch the Warriors, you're looking back on it now, yeah, it's completely ridiculous. And obviously this isn't the way it is, but 
this is pre-information age, if you want to call it that. And I can see somebody from somewhere that, you know, like Nebraska or even me as a 10-year-old kid going, wow, those are the kind of gangs they have in New York. That's that's pretty scary. And <laughs> maybe not quite that outlandish, but I could totally buy the fact that people might think that, okay, they're not mimes and Indians and you know, baseball thugs, but still, nevertheless, there's crazy-ass gangs running rampant through New York City. I, I don't know. I can kind of see why some people might have been hysterical about it, considering our just the way our culture is, you know? Well, I definitely think it's fair to say this movie contributed to sort of the image that a lot of people would have had of New York, perhaps throughout the 80s. Well, one of the films, probably the film's chief strength is 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 that it's shot on location and i mean i guess with the taking of pelham 123 which i guess was within about a five-year span they're both have a lot of sh shooting in the subway system and I, I it 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 feels that part feels very authentic when they're walking through the subway tunnels or when they're transferring at, at all the different stations um and and you know, it becomes basically a, a transit chase where they, you know, they go off on foot whenever they they get blocked up or whatever. I like that. Like, you just get a, the size and scope of, of, you know, just trying to get across um, the city. I think of just a lot of other movies that have used, like, the frustration of just getting around New York when you have to you know be somewhere fast like i mean like quick change uh did that as well where they're trying to get out of the city and it's just so frustrating and you watch these guys i mean on top of them trying to get from point a to point b they've got to go through everyone else's turf and then there's the um the main gang is using the the radio uh and the, the, those are the scenes that i always remembered the most from watching it when i was younger is the close-up of the of the woman DJ and then her giving almost like status updates over the course of the movie. And, and that, that stuff works really well. Um, you, you know what? I, I have to admit, I, I've been to New York city one time and it was, um, 2002. I was there and I remember going down into that subway even in, in the daytime. And it was so ingrained in my head from all the TV shows I've watched and all of these movies that I've seen, growing up about how dangerous it is to be down in that subway like how many killings have you seen in a film in a subway station or a woman running for her life or gangs or whatever adventures in babysitting they get on that train <laughs> and that's in chicago but th that was so ingrained in my head that i remember feeling just a little bit on the back of my head kind of oh this is a subway in new york i gotta kind of keep my head on a swivel and look around and this this film is one of those that contributes to that totally and it totally feels real realistic yeah well i think there's a realism also you know uh i guess in terms of the the casting because i mean it's it's a lot of unknowns and i mean there's it's a large cast there's a lot of people in this movie um and you know although they, they aren't the greatest actors necessarily i think that is another thing that kind of why people remember this movie because you know in a certain way although they're wearing crazy costumes these people feel real in, in a certain sense so yeah but they it's also, got the most tin ear for dialogue like i i have no problem when they're they're trying to get from here to there but when they actually have to talk about something in this movie it's pretty strained well, i found yeah. most of the dialogue like is just really 
clunky. It's a good thing that the movie is always on the move. So they don't have to stop for that. But when they stop and have a conversation, it it feels like movie dialogue. It never feels uh, real. It just I don't want it to feel real. I no, want I, I'm not looking for um, gritty realism. I, but but I don't want it to feel like I'm listening to bad dialogue. That's that's yeah, reading lines. Yeah, line readings. Like yes. Almost, yeah. The se- I think the second you take a film that is essentially a B movie and you, I mean, I, I, I yeah, I, I obviously agree the dialogue is not good, but um, I think that's part of the charm of it. I, the second you take a film that's that's basically a B film and you try to bump it up, I, I think you end up with stuff like Transformers and it just turns into something that's convoluted and trying to be something it's not and boring uh i would ra- i that's why i prefer a lot of the older genre films because they just are what they are they have no problem existing as simple entertainment um so i i that's one thing i miss now all genre movies are are trying to be as realistic as possible um with method acting and and um and it, it's a, clu- a whole other kind of clunky. It's like a, a clunky in that it's completely missing the mark in its attempted realism. Uh, it misses being fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'd rather take the fall on, on dialogue and, and just have fun with it. Well, I think something else, too, in terms of the dialogue. I mean, some of the one-liners in this movie, I mean, there's some memorable lines. And, I mean, they're not... Like, I feel like they're not, they weren't written on paper that they would be memorable, but it's kind of how they're maybe delivered in an odd way or, or something like that. And I mean, certainly the, the come out and play uh, scene is just odd, like that he's kind of like, he's, he has those bottles on his fingers or whatever. And it's just such an odd, like, it just creates this weird, well, at first you're like, what's that sound? And then... It, but that's what makes it memorable is that and that was improvised on on set so right yeah and twisted well, sister had a hand in popularizing that scene as well and True. you touched on it briefly there about the casting not only you know are they no names but at least all of the warriors well pretty much everybody in the movie they have a very distinct you know very distinct facial features uh, so the one the one guy the come out and play guy I mean he reminds me of sort of a cross between Joaquin Phoenix and Spicoli, and David David Patrick Kelly he's in a ton of stuff. yeah he's pretty prolific although this was his absolute first film credit I mean but they're all like that I mean even all the all the Warriors guys you look at them and they're all it's like one of them has like thing. like a brown face one has a darker a brown face. <laughs> <laughs> One's kind of like a pinkish hue. <laughs> well, that is kind of a funny thing, though, and a, a stylistic thing is that there are no like the, the, you know, if you were going for realism, you'd think the gangs would be across racial lines, but they did not do that with this movie. They, there's like all of the gangs are mixed, and that's an interesting oh, no, choice. No, 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 no. I, I noticed that one of the gangs is all Chinese. One of the mm-hmm. the mimes are all white, and I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> I can actually see their, <laughs> I can actually see their skin under 
under, you know, by their neck where they're painted. They're all white. The one gang with the purple hats and the zoot suits are all black guys. Yeah, and actually, some of the gangs are mixed, but they were no of, the 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 um the 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 rift the riffs the riffs guys were mixed, and the warriors are mixed. And they're the Interesting, main two though, that gangs. Walter Hill apparently wanted the Warriors to be all black, but the studio didn't want him to do that. No. They, if you go back and look at all the gangs showing up for that thing, they're all racially the same. All the gangs showing up for the big meeting. They, they make you mean the, 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 the little scenes at the beginning, like all the gangs that you don't encounter? Right, right. They're all, like, there's a whole Chinese gang, and they're dressed up as, like, 17th century Chinese um, peasants. It was really weird. Uh, and the black guys all have those purple zoot suits with a feather and a purple fedora, you know? I, I I thought that was actually kind of surprising. Not Maybe not surprising for the time, but now I saw it and went, whoa, okay. Well, I guess it's also, you could mention, in terms of uh, some of the dialogue, there's definitely some... Uh, some uh, slurs in there like i mean they use the the word faggot a number of times which you wouldn't hear in movies anymore um and there was something else i can't remember what it was but it's something that was a little bit shocking but you know i mean i guess that's exploitation movies for you i mean that's not abnormal um but to get back to what andrew was saying i kind of agree i think a lot of these people may have been cast for their look in a certain way um but I do think it's interesting that a lot of these people haven't really done much since. Well, James Remar is in a lot of stuff. I, I, he's a character he's actor. I guy. see. Yeah, he's the guy who drops out of the movie about halfway because he gets. I guess he goes off and he 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 leaves the warrior gang and 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 betrays them for for. Uh, the opportunity to rape a woman on the park bench <laughs> like they don't have enough problems and then he just disappears from the movie uh and that's it you know that's well, it for yeah, his character I, think, I mean david patrick kelly is probably the only one out of the main characters that's fairly recognizable at least today but i mean lynn thigpen who's the dj had a pretty prolific career up until she died um mercedes rule is in this as the cop on um, the park bench yeah and well and then the one I just think is weird when you guys are talking the, the woman that looks like Rosario Dawson, which is Deborah Van um, Valkenberg or something like that. She was from. She was one of the stars of Too Close for Comfort, so she was easily. The oh yeah, 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 yeah. Going yeah. Into, this, into this movie, I mean, as soon as I see her, I see Jim J. Bullock. I don't see. Yeah, but this this predates movie. this predates that sitcom by a few years, does it not? Um, yeah, yeah. It, no, it was about the same time because that started in 1980. So I mean. She was. I think it started in there. No, I think it was. It was later. Did, no, did, it's did, did Jim J. Bullock <laughs> die of? Uh, I don't know. Of AIDS, I think he did. Okay, well, I, here's the thing. You guys, you, you what do you think of Hollywood AIDS? Squares, Andrew? He's, he's still alive. Is, is Shadow still, Stevens still around? <laughs> Jim J. Bullock's still alive. Not sure about Shadow. Are you kidding me? He's alive? Yeah. Yes. Get with it, man. This is like the time I found out my my high school art teacher is still alive. Shadow Stevens is still alive. And Jay's world is a little brighter. Man, this is good news. See, it's funny. I To go along with what Sean said about this being... 
kind of no names and they haven't really done anything. These names that you're saying, I have no idea. I mean, I know who they are when I look Jim at this. Jay I go. <laughs> That's but, yeah. No, David Patrick Kelly. I, I, you've seen in hundreds of things. For Christ's sake, he's in, he's in Twin Peaks. He's he. Arnold Schwarzenegger drops him. Okay. Yeah. I, he's in Commandos. Yeah, yeah. To let him go. He's in Crow. He's in. Okay, you're right. And Lynn Thigpen is the chief from Carmen Sandiego. Mm-hmm. See, it's funny though. You don't see her in the movie though. You only see her jawline and lips. So uh, that's all you need, man. Yep. That's <laughs> that jawline. It's pretty distinctive. Her voice. She does have a great voice. I actually wish there were more. Ra- there's only about four, four radio scenes. And she actually spins a few records. Like the, the that's the way they introduce some of the musical. Um, like the the pop, I, uh, there's like an eagle song at the end, and, and whatever. There's there's a few songs in the movie, and they're they're spun by her as opposed to just throwing them onto the soundtrack. And it was a, for that type of movie, it was such a nice touch. I mean, there's I guess there's a lot of attention making the style of this movie a little bit arch. And uh, again, it, it it just with all of those stylistic. Ticks. I, I again. I'm surprised that that people took the movie so seriously because it it's just all out there to say you know what we're having a we're just having a good time making a harmless purely entertaining movie. Yeah, she's she's who I would have really liked to do the intro, but I think she might have she might have been dead by that yeah. point. I'm not sure if she was or not, but I she would have been a perfect fill-in for Orson Welles. Plus, it would have fit with the rest of the movie if she's the one introducing everything because. Every single scene of her is gold. It's, I mean, it's, I, every time she's on screen, you can't help but you're just transfixed on what she's saying and, and how she's speaking. I mean, that was, and I think that was something they came up as they were shooting. Like, it wasn't supposed to be done that way. And I think she was a late casting choice. And, she, I mean, it was brilliant because she absolutely, she's the thing that, that DJ is what always made, was memorable for me about this movie is that how, they were telling how she was telling everything and introducing and how it tied the whole story together. I mean, she was clearly the standout role in the whole movie. And within the movie, it's great that she actually never like, she always speaks in at least a form of loose code. Like it's never explicit um, or whatever. And I think thousands of commercial and, and also college radio stations are somewhat into their, into her debt because you hear loads of shows would appropriate that all right, boppers, let's get bopping. But I mean, in regards to that, just to go back to that opening narration again, yeah, it would have been awesome for her to do it, and it would have made more sense, and it would have been awesome if they decided that at the time. So the the late edition of that narration with Walter Hill reading it and putting that script up there, that's even more of a reason why you just, just for, leave it. Because then we wouldn't even be having this conversation of, yeah, it would have been cool if she had done it. She's dead. She can't do it. So before the movie's even started, I kind of agree. His voice, it just feels weird. I, you know, one thing though that, uh, you know, is in terms of why they probably put out this director's cut. Um, I'm pretty sure this was around the time when the Tony Scott remake was gearing up, and like I feel like they put this out kind of to get 
get the the kids into it, get the kids into the Warriors, and and to be like, hey, look, we've got comic book transitions. Like I don't know, was Sin, Sin City would have been out at that time, but not three hundred, or was three hundred out then? I'm not sure, but I just feel like this was their. They had to re-release it. Maybe it wasn't perfect, but they're like, let's throw in this extra stuff, and you know that's what we got. But um, I, maybe it's worth talking about the remake a little bit because um, one thing I know, as far as I know, it's still in development. I don't know when it's going to happen, but Tony Scott said he wanted to move it to L.A., and Kurt, you're saying that he wanted it to be all car based because it wouldn't there wouldn't be a sub well they do have a subway but it sucks i think yeah no i I think that i actually i'm kind of on board with the uh with the remake idea if they just go in a completely different direction with it if they did make it like a uh you know 2010 uh version of mad max like a highway chase movie and they could find a way to you know to work that in and and have it all with cars and freeways I, i think that would uh that would be an interesting idea, and you'd just have gangs roving on the freeways. And again, you'd keep that arch comic book tone to it, but now you're, you have a, a totally different visual style. You could actually make it all during the day. You wouldn't have to make it all during the night. You could actually do a lot of interesting uh, things. I, I, I have perfect faith, because again, Andrew mentioned taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, and how uh, Tony Scott delightly delightfully fucked that movie completely up and totally did everything wrong. Um, I I hope that he doesn't do that if that happens with this one. I hope that he could actually um, not make it gritty and realistic, which is what Jay said earlier and, and whatnot. And just, and make it as uh, you know, make a Mad Max, forget Mad Max four, just, just make this and, and make it in modern day. Well, I'm pretty sure I, read also though that he had been talking to L- real LA gangs <laughs> whether or not they would be involved in the movie or if he was just doing research quote unquote I'm not sure but um doesn't it, give you a lot of faith it, yeah does it? that could be a bad direction to go um yeah I, I don't really I, I feel like maybe the reason this this remake hasn't happened yet is maybe he's kind of realizing that this is kind of a tricky tricky movie to remake and it's a cult classic a lot of people love it um i don't know it it feels like it would be kind of hard to uh to do right but then again maybe who cares let's just make some money so uh i I mean just to go back to the original I, i do believe the movie completely deserves its cult classic status because what it does well it does really well, and it. I think you could throw this movie on for any, like you know, a young audience, untouched, just as like a grittier, um, you know, the, as gritty as it is all, at night, everything else, and any any audience could enjoy the movie. And I mean, that says something in and of itself. I, I, I mean, I have some trouble with the dialogue and other little things, but I mean, it's a great movie. It is a good movie. Well, I I don't completely agree. I mean, I, I've only, I've seen it now a couple of times, and I've never seen the version without the transitions. Perhaps that's why I like the transitions. I don't know. Um, 
but for me, I feel the movie sort of, I really like it. I really enjoy it. I could say that, you know, I even love certain parts of it, but it almost feels like the, the bulk of the film, basically the chase across town is just, to me, that's the, it's interesting visually, but it's the, like, it's almost like a chore getting through most of that. Cause it's like, it's the same thing over and over. You get off at one stop. Oh my God, what gang is going to come out now? It's just kind of bland after the second or third one i mean the the gangs themselves are kind of cool and interesting but i mean i could watch it on mute and it would be just as interesting as it was you know with all the dialogue and whatever else is going on so i mean for me it's the kind of movie that i'd put on in the background i'll watch it sort of in passing in small bits and pieces but having seen it now three or four times from beginning to end i don't feel the need to ever see it again as like not in one sitting That's interesting. I don't totally disagree with you because, like I said in the very beginning, when I saw this as a younger kid and just seeing it in chunks, mm-hmm. like that was way better than my experience seeing it from beginning to end because you've got these scenes where they, and, you know, Kurt talked about it too, where they just sit around and talk. And not only is it just not good dialogue, it's just kind of boring. Yeah. Like, I want to get to the next gang and see what they look like or give me some shots of the city or a chase sequence or something. And uh, so I think it sort of does work in chunks better. Don't get me wrong. I, I like the movie. I just, I understand what you're saying. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I would kind of agree in terms of every time I throw this movie on, I'm always a little surprised at how it's 90 minutes, but it feels slow at certain points. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, obviously there's reasons why this movie sticks in people's minds and, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe a remake would be a chance to do maybe something a little bit more with a little bit more drama behind it. I, I, not that you would want to go too deep into that, but I mean, all these characters are pretty, I mean, are there really any characters? I mean, nobody has anything in terms of a personality except for maybe, uh, the guy who gets arrested and well, it's not about Remember. characters. It's about <laughs> ideals and, and just broad you know, uh, ways of thinking and, and that these, how these gangs stick together. And I like that. If, if I, at any point decide I want to be a man, I would want Walter Hill and John Milius to take me out to a forest and chop wood and show me what life is about. Well, um, in terms of Walter Hill's career, I, I like, I'm not too familiar with a lot of his stuff, but was this kind of like did this launch his career or was this like the middle of his career, the highlight of his career? Like how, how would you guys compare some of his other movies? This is one of his hours. first films. Yeah. I think 48 hours is the one that made him like a star. And I know there's plenty of people that like streets of fire, even though it's a steaming piece of shit. It's a great film. <laughs> no, great, no. great film. No, <laughs> it's all about, it's all about but 48 I mean, hours. I mean, this guy, this guy, has had a pretty interesting career. I mean, he made, um, what, Brewster's Millions. He did uh, Crossroads. Um, he made at least one Schwarzenegger film, and I don't remember what the hell it Red was. Heat. And then, yeah, Red okay. Heat. Fucking A. He did, that, he did that remake <laughs> of Yojimbo with Bruce Willis. Yeah, um, Last Man Standing. Last Man Standing. And, and David Patrick Kelly. He's heavily involved with the Aliens films. Yes, that's that's I I'd say that's probably his biggest my biggest thing. connection is that he he was the producer and uh, one of the screenwriter drafts on the original and they they were working on Alien 
at the same time as this movie was going through its release, its its rollout, because of course back in 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 the seventies they would roll out movies a lot slower across the country. So he was having to deal with the fact that theaters were pulling prints because of the media stories while they were in uh, Ridley Scott's production. I think he had a heavy role in the military aspect of Aliens as well, bringing that in. More recently, though, he uh, he directed the I, I think it was just a, a work for hire job, but he directed the uh, the pilot to uh, HBO's Deadwood. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it's it's a good it's a it's a, I mean, it's solid work. I think he just he does a lot of producing. He had a a big movie in uh, what was it like? 1997 or 1998 it was a big science fiction movie um supernova supernova and it went through every like production hell cliche as possible and it just ended up plopping in the theater and making no money and it was just a mess it was just a total yeah I, i never saw that movie but i've always been fascinated because francis ford coppola is apparently uncredited ghost as director editor or ghost editor it's of one of those movies it's in that book about um hollywood fiascos or whatever and it's one of those films where multiple people were brought in last minute to try and save it and i don't know if i can't remember if walter hill started with it and it was taken from him or if he came in last minute to try to save it and it was already garbage but he's the one who ended up getting director's credit Okay, like, then he probably tried not, to save is, it. Is he credited as the director? I'm pretty sure On he is. IMDb he is. Isn't he? I thought, I thought he didn't. I, thought I think he, he disowned it. Yeah, I thought he put his name for some reason. Like, he didn't do... Um, oh, it says Walter Hill as Thomas Lee. So I guess he changed his name or something. Yeah, I don't know if he's credited on the actual movie, but I, I think he's the one that either started it or did most of the directing Yep, that was my impression. But I think Walter Hill, I may be mistaken, but has worked as a consultant, as maybe even on Deadwood for um, kind of a, a Western history, like kind of like Ricky Jay would be a consultant for you know multiple magic yep. also related on, films. Also on Deadwood, <laughs> um, I think he's done some work in that regard. But his yeah, his resume is a roller coaster ride. It's it's not uh, it's not like consistently bad or consistently great. It's just a roller coaster, which you know kind of makes would kind of make a uh, like a film festival or whatever of his films. If you just started grinding through his resume, it would make for an interesting um, because you, it crosses a lot of genres and um, it's always going for a pulpy like entertaining entertain me first. And worry about everything else second. Well, yeah, and I think that can play a role on why he's probably not as well known, or at least as someone that people will think of so quickly, is because his movies are all over the place. That he, it's you know, he's not like a, a horror director or a sci-fi director, or you know, or war films or whatever. He just kind of does whatever he likes and goes all over the place, and so it's it's a little harder for people to kind of identify with his movies and and you know kind of build that fan base that way most of his stuff is, is you know streets of fire and the warriors are probably two of his bigger name you know w- movies he's known for simply because of they're so out there in their style and their presentation and stuff like that 
because um, I don't think most people would ever think of 48 Hours as a Walter Hill film. They just think of that as an Eddie Murphy film. And and I guess that's to me. I think he's an interesting director, and I like that he kind of... I think he does kind of try and push himself by trying all sorts of different stuff, and on plenty of occasions he fails miserably, which I don't really have a problem with. I'd rather see somebody try something different and fail than do the same old crap over and over again. Hallelujah, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, well... uh... I guess we're kind of wrapping things up on the Warriors. Uh, Matt, did you have any other final thoughts in particular? Because it seemed like you were really had a lot to say or wanted to say a lot about this movie. No, I just really wanted to sit in on this because I missed out on the uh, the last movie or the last movie club podcast when I knew Jay and Kurt would uh, be a little lenient for for a film whose main protagonist is a lava lamp. Um, so I want, and I knew they would be nitpicking on the comic book because they've made it both well known multiple times on both their sites, and so I wanted to be at least someone who would be a vocal defender of this movie, which I think I think it's just flat out fun, and that's and that's why I love it. I mean, it's just a great fun movie to watch. It's and it's influenced people. I think it's influenced films and. And a lot of different styles. I mean, one of the things we didn't even mention, the, the, the fight scene in Anchorman is almost a fully ripped-off scene from The Warriors. I mean, it's this, it's this is a weird kind of exploitation film from the 70s that's influencing popular comedy nowadays. I mean, and I think that's just, I think that's cool, and that's one of the things I like about it. It's, it's a really fun film to get behind, and... And I'll admit that I probably shouldn't. I probably don't criticize it as much as I should, but it's it's just because it's too damn fun. Well, you're bang on with the uh, like. It has immersed itself uh, into like popular culture in a fairly big way, even if people don't even know where some of the looks or expressions are coming from. I mean, the come out and play bit, which is probably the most famous bit of dialogue or, or, or from the movie has been spoofed repurposed used in so many different places um it's just one of those things it's it, it's it's an expression that uh even if people don't know where it comes from they they tend to know it yeah yeah definitely um uh, so final thoughts anyone else have anything else you want to say about the warriors it's awesome. All right. So, uh, so Matt, are you going to bid farewell, or do you want to sit in on uh, one more movie, or what do you want to do? I can I can sit in since we're actually we're way ahead of row three's pace. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you guys so want to slow it down, we can slow it down. I mean, <laughs> I haven't seen it, so I'll just make sure to have uh, sharp barbs from time to time. Okay. I'm sure Kurt will say something that will piss me off, and I'll. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, all right, we'll move on then, and uh, we'll get into Martin Scorsese's After Hours, which, if I remember this correctly, I think Jay, you were the one who suggested this. Yes. And uh, well, why don't you give us a little bit of why you wanted to revisit this movie and uh, how it fits, if at all, with the Warriors? Well, I'll start off by saying I didn't didn't rewatch it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, actually, I I rewatched it recently. Um, uh, 
within this last year, so it's still pretty fresh in my mind. Um, I don't know. It just it's it works perfectly with the Warriors because it's a similar um, night in the life of someone who's making his way through New York City, and um, except in this case, it's more of a, a comedy and and. I always it's one of my favorite Martin Scorsese films and it's one that it seems a lot of people hasn't haven't seen and it's got an energy to it that I love and and um it's visually uh, I think it's just as a, a comic book transition overlay would work just as well on this movie I think <laughs> the cinematography in it is really colorful and flashy and um Griffin Dunn is is awesome in it and he's got great eyebrows and <laughs> That's what else, you know, what else do you want me to say, Sean? Oh, you really don't need to say anything else. I mean, we could just wrap this up right now. Just don't put me on the spot. I have a question, Jay. Um, Does it make you want to fuck after watching it? (laughs) In a way. (laughs) Just the title alone. (laughs) Well, the Fiorentino makes, never mind. Well, I mean, I definitely agree in terms of this is sort of uh, an underrated Scorsese film. And this was my first time seeing it. And I wasn't really too sure what to expect. I mean, I knew it was a comedy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess just because maybe it's a, it's a little bit of a different tone than a lot of his other movies, maybe that's why people kind of leave this one out when they're talking Scorsese. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's a pretty awesome movie. I, I really had a good time with it. And I mean, I love the the whole one crazy night thing. I mean, that's it. Just seems like it's a great theme for a movie when done right. But there's just so many things in this movie that just kind of they keep leading you on to the next thing, to the next thing, and it just you you can't stop watching, really. So, Kurt, thoughts? Um, also, my first time watching this movie, uh, which is really weird because this movie always seems to be when someone talks about. The all night Odyssey movie. This is the movie. This is the always. So I don't know if it's an underrated Scorsese picture because I I always hear it referred to. I just had never got well, around. I mean, to watching right it. here, proof yeah. is in the pudding. Yeah. I mean, you guys haven't seen it. Has anyone else watched it previous I, to this? I've never seen it. Andrew seen it. Marina. No, it was my first time. There you go. There you yeah. go. I mean, what is with that? It's weird. I mean, there's a couple other Scorsese movies I haven't seen, too, but certainly this one I had heard of, I just had never seen. But I mean, this one is so accessible. Like, you would think this would be one that's like... absolutely. Well, the one thing that struck me immediately watching it is how fast it is. It's... It it feels like a a low-budget movie. It feels like they just set up the, (laughs) the cameras and shot and ran with it. Okay, done. And that gives this movie such a weird energy when you're watching it. Uh, it. I mean, yeah, it's funny. It's really funny. But at the same point, it, it's, um, it's also like a, like a, a really Baroque horror movie. Like it, it, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And, and you don't really like, uh, a Griffin Dunn. I mean, his character's introduced when, uh, he's, he's, um, training an employee and completely ignoring him like just completely this is beneath him and all through the movie he tends to struggle with um trying to be the nice guy but really not wanting to and and i don't know i i don't know if i've gotten that vibe out of other um 
Scorsese. Like, it doesn't feel like an auteur movie from Scorsese, but at the same point, it's it's such a high energy, passionate project that you you can't help but get behind it. And I yeah, it really it wasn't the movie I was expecting. I expecting it to be like a more of a slow burn movie. I don't know why I expected that. So it was surprising that it was manic. Um, well, I think from a pure style point of view, it it almost plays like a dry run for Goodfellas. Because a lot of the the camera work that he uses in this and that you know a lot of swishing and panning and, yeah. and uh, you see in Goodfellas, which I think is the film he did after this or one maybe one after. Um, so it, it's it definitely is Scorsese working at an extremely high, highly stylized level, which is toned down a bit in Goodfellas, but does appear like when uh, Ray Liotta is doing all the drug running and whatnot. Um, Andrew and Marina, thoughts on After Hours? Uh, well, I'll, I'll go first. Um, I'm sort of, I guess, on the other side of the fence. I really didn't care for this movie at oh all. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, sorry. I just, I, it was, it started off promising, and I can sort of get behind the, you know, the night gets worse as it gets on, but uh, it was just, it was a little bit painful. But halfway through, I'm like, is this ever going to end? When when does the daytime come again? Where the hell is Balky? <laughs> I could have used more Balky. I'm with I, you on I, that. I, I, I just I didn't I just didn't care for it. I I didn't care for the character. I didn't care for the situation. But but isn't that pain the- by design? Like that that <clears throat> tightening of the screw? Isn't that the design? I I, mean, I understand you didn't care for, it, but isn't that the design of the movie? Like the central design? Well, obviously, right? Because I mean. That's exactly the point. As as the night progresses, it gets progressively worse. But I just I didn't care for it. Like nothing about it. I didn't just didn't like anything. Honestly, I just I didn't care for any of it. I'm like, really, when is this going to end? How much longer is there? I mean, and to me, it didn't even. I didn't even realize it was Scorsese until after I'd seen it. Hmm. Well, it's not written by him. Obviously, it's. No. Written by Joseph Minion, which... Uh, he did Vampire's Kiss, which is also manic. Yeah, and nothing else that I really recognize here. But, um, Andrew? All right, well, um, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of in between all of you. I, I I think, like Marina said, it started out really promising. I was really liking it. Um, weird things are happening, and then more maybe towards the last half hour or so it it got just a little bit too goofy for me i wasn't the beginning is slightly darker and more intriguing and what is what is going on and these characters are doing weird things and they're they're strange and then all of a sudden and then cheech and chong show up and this mob of people running through the streets and the paper mache of him and all that kind of really goofy stuff just the the movie just seemed to change tones in a way that I guess I just didn't like that much, um, but but I I agree with Jay that I I like Griffin Dunn I like the way he just sort of behaves and all the things that happened to him especially in the beginning and and this was my first time seeing it too. However, I'm also in agreement that if I didn't know this was Scorsese, I think I would have figured it out because of some of those very good fellas esque shots the, the 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 quick zooms into the face when something 
Well, the first ten minutes, first I mean, ten it's, minutes, it's it's, it's Scorsese. Totally, There's no totally question. it is. And and I'm not even that. I haven't seen everything <clears throat> Scorsese's done, but and I'm not even that huge of a fan. But you can tell. I mean, it's it's him. It's him with his little crash zooms and all the, like you said, the panning and whatnot. It's it's pretty auteur that way. So um, for the most part, I liked it. I just. I don't know. It just kind of goes off the rails for me, and I, I'm kind of with Marina. I was kind of hoping it would end soon, um, in the last half hour or so. Well, I guess one thing I just wanted to get back to is like Kurt, you kind of mentioned how it's almost like the ultimate all night Odyssey movie, and it's weird because like I'm I, as I'm watching it, I'm just being reminded of so many other movies that maybe were directly influenced by it or just kind of because it paved the way for that kind of movie. It just, it happened. But like I watched, uh, the day trippers like some, at some point last year. And now after seeing this, I feel like it's a almost ripoff of after hours. Like it was the miracle mile, uh, the, with, um, Anthony Edwards. Uh, I mean, it's a cold war plot, but it, it very much owes huge, debt to this movie as well well that's the thing this movie clearly is rooted in the 80s and has an 80s vibe to it but it also doesn't it's like the the idea of it is very 1980s and at the star obviously and but it feels like a modern scorsese film like it the goodfellas doesn't seem dated to me um but the idea in this like the concept and the tone reminds me of the those kind of films that came out in the eighties, like um, um, crazy uh, people. Was the one the with Dudley Moore and Daryl Supergirl Hannah. in it? Mm, uh, I don't know. I want your money, or out for money, or crazy for money, or like <laughs> you know all those weird dark comedies in the eighties that were tonally odd and. And, yeah, or uh, Adventures in Babysitting. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it is like Adventures in Babysitting. It's as, as if Martin Scorsese did his own version of that. Um, there's a lot of films like this in that. And on the horror side, even something like Vamp it, it reminds me of this, or even maybe a little bit of uh, American Werewolf in London. Or, you, you know, it, it's, it's a weird movie tonally. Um, but I think it's a fun adventure film and even though i think style wise it's it's pure scorsese i agree with kurt that it doesn't feel like a scorsese film in regards to the characters and and the actual the movie you know the tone of it and um so it's a an odd beast but and for all those times when uh, you you complain that um that women do not get like choice roles or whatever it, the women in this movie sell this movie um i mean rosanna arquette is just awesome it's just a shame that she exits the movie at the halfway mark because she has such a strange like um it's like a it's like a weird tease kind of and, and every, when i'm watching this movie it never feels like this is actually happening this feels like he fell asleep at his desk and he's just playing out all of his anxieties 
um, you know, with women interacting with people socially, uh, you know, whether or not I should take chances or, or be stuck in this day job. I mean, to me, it plays more like a, like a Lynchian fever dream than it does like it's ever literally happening. And it is fascinating to look at all the different women that he meets over the courses. You got Catherine O'Hara, you got, uh, Linda Fiorentino, um, uh, there's all the women are very distinctly different and very interesting the way they interact with him uh, Terry Gar as well i and they all you know which ties even more into the fantasies that they all want him in a weird way but end up torturing him uh and so it's like he effortlessly seems to be attracting all these women but nothing good comes out of any of it it's it's a it's a pretty dark message when you think about it um if I could compare it to anything now, it would be like a curb your enthusiasm because everything he just gets shit on and shit on and shit on. And the, the circumstances are just more and more ridiculous. And you look at something like curb and it's it's pretty cartoony as well. Like I could picture Larry David being paper well, mache. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I was kind of reminded a little bit of the Coen Brothers, a serious man in that sense that it's just constantly things going wrong, going wrong. And I mean, I guess this guy is a little bit more. He starts off with maybe not the best of intentions, and he's an asshole right through the movie. Like he, I, I think he it's sometimes he thinks he should be doing the right thing, and that's his only reason why he ever does the right thing. Like I actually think um, the most despicable character in the entire movie is is Griffin Dunn's character. I, I, there's, I don't think he has, other than the fact that he just keeps trying um he doesn't really have any redeeming qualities at least that's the read i did uh, i got when i was watching the movie yeah i mean you never really get the impression that he cares you know like he tries to talk to Roseanne arquette's character and like sort of seems like he's tr he's feeling sorry for her or whatever but you know then it just he, it, you see in his head that he just wants to get through it and you know, he just he just wants to get laid or whatever, and and then you know the whole thing with uh, with her roommate and then them almost playing against each other and yeah, I, I find it's in, it's interesting how like it's always these women that are leading him on and pulling him through the movie, and then he comes out at the end and it's kind of like right back where he started again. Like I I kind of. I don't know. I, I kind of was more sympathetic towards him. I felt like these women... Well, for one thing, after What's-Her-Name commits suicide, Rosanna Arquette, he does go back and he's trying to apologize. He doesn't realize she's dead. <laughs> he's trying to apologize and be nice, and he's trying to do... All he wants to do is get home, and to be honest, I don't think he's the asshole. I think these women that he meets are fucking insane. Like, these two movies that we've watched, The Warriors and this movie, make me never want to go to New York City. The, <laughs> the, the things that Terry Gar and Catherine O'Hara just do to him, just to torment him, because they think it's funny at 4 o'clock in the morning, and he's tired, and he's wet and shivering, he wants to go home, they toy with him in, in an insanely absurd manner. And it fucking, it kind of bugged me, actually. I don't, I don't he think he was an asshole at all. I mean... He, yeah, he had some misintentions, maybe, but by about the halfway mark, all he wants to do is go home. He and writes he dead girl on a sign and posts it up in the apartment after <laughs> calling it in. That is, that's pretty damn insensitive, don't you think? 
<laughs> like he puts an arrow like dead girl that way <laughs> yeah <laughs> you don't have a problem with that well i can't remember was there a circumstance why he had to leave really quickly like only really- only for himself to get home like if he had stopped trying to well, that's, balance that's not and not make true, himself he, look like an asshole. He he no, no, could no. have. He what? promised that guy he'd bring back his keys or whatever, and he was taking too long, and he realized, oh shit, I gotta get back to this other guy. Exactly. Granted, dead girl yeah. maybe takes priority over that, but the other guy worked in a bar. Pick up a phone book. I, it just it's it. I I think that everything that happens to Griffin Dunn, he 100% brings on himself. You can pity the guy if you want, but this guy had it coming. I don't think so. Those (laughs) women were insane. (laughs) It's an interesting, interesting that there's two totally different reads on that, but they were totally playing games with him and messing with his head and being really annoying and all, you know, they burst into because tears for no Because both reason. times they tried to help him and he was in, he was more interested in ignoring their help. I mean, he uh, Terry Gar tries to help him and he completely brushes her off and it, like and, and does it in such an awkward unfriendly like regardless of the social pretense you put up with people he's just really bad at it so they 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 go out of their way to help him and then realize that he's an asshole and then they um uh Catherine O'Hare is the the same thing she she goes in and you know tries to help uh bandage him up and and tries to help him with his problem and he's he's basically saying like fuck off just let me make this phone call or whatever and if he had if he had behaved like a reasonable human being and listened to the other people when they were talking to him instead of caught up in his own uh, bullshit of just trying to get home, uh, he, he, he would not have went through that. I think it's a great movie of know. how you can self-torture yourself by being... Um, or, or, or it's basically like guilt in the back of your mind for being selfish. There's some sort of guilt that creeps over you and actually, you know plays like a demon and and then this whole movie is his guilt demons for being such a shallow asshole um i when i don't know i don't i wish i could remember specifically the things that that were said to him but i when he was like with Catherine o'hara you know and he you made it very clear i just need to make a phone call and then i'll be on my way and she just kept fucking with him like screwing up the numbers and even after she did that he tried to laugh it off he tried to be the nice guy and she just kept messing with him and i don't think he was being an asshole to i don't maybe i don't remember specific scenes exactly but uh i I don't remember him being an asshole to her he was very clear can i just use your phone and then she got up there and started toying with him the second he got up there Rosanna Arquette sums it up completely. There's a scene where they're having a conversation and he says something and she's like, I don't want to deal with this. I, why can't people just talk to each other? Why do people talk around each other? Why, why do they try to have this social dance of, you know, what they're, what they're, um, you know, this is how I really feel, but I can't say that because it's not polite and whatever. And it feels like throughout the entire movie that Griffin Dunn is, doing the social dance um really badly and and i i think i i don't know i i guess when i was watching the movie every person haven't you ever had just a really bad day and all you want to do is you know get home or whatever yeah yesterday yeah so there you go and i and and i was and and i was a jerk and i was a jerk and um 
and it is what it is. But I mean, if someone was a, an asshole back to me because I happened to be short with them or ignoring them because I had my own problems, well, then I probably deserved it. I just, I, I, asshole, I think is just a strong word. I, I just think he was tired and crabby and was trying to just get home, and it just kept getting worse for him. And I don't, I don't know. It's not worth fighting about. I just. It was interesting the way I more empathize or sympathize. Well, what, with what about the scene? Okay, let's take the women out of the equation for a second and then go to the scene where he goes to pay with the subway fare and uh, he's got like 90 cents and he needs a buck 50 because the, the fares have been raised. Now, that I don't know how much the fares have been raised, which again supports this whole nightmare theory because it's almost like they it, it like raised by a significant amount, but. He talks to the guy. The guy, of course, is, you know, overly by the book. But then he just goes, fuck it, I'm going to fair jump. And then, of course, the cop is standing right there. But that's the same attitude he takes with all of the social interactions. Um, and he, it, it's just that the screenwriter and Martin Scorsese, the, the director, makes sure that for every social gaffe, he pays in full. Where in reality, when you're... When you when you be an asshole in public or whatever, you rarely actually pay. So in a way, it's almost like a it's almost like, you know, the movie has this ability to just throw karma at him in, in the worst, you know, most extreme possible sense, which makes it both funny and horrifying, which is someone said it was like a serious man. And I agree, at least in tone, it, it is because th th that's what happens in the Coen Brothers latest movie. Yeah, um, I mean, I think he—you do—you get a point where you, you do kind of feel for him here and there. It's not like he's an out-and-out out, like completely character you despise, but I agree that it feels like, for the most part, everything that happens he deserves in a certain way. Um, but I think you know it is—it is a funny movie, um, and I, you know I, I don't know if it's something that would play to everyone like i feel like it's a pretty accessible comedy i don't know if it's um like a an 80s centric comedy you know what i mean because i it feels like an 80s movie because of the setting and all that but you know i'm just wondering how maybe maybe a younger viewer watching this for the first time what what they would take away from this who cares <laughs> Um, it, it, it's probably sharper or more extreme. Like it feels like an '80s comedy, but it's got a it's got a much sharper edge, and it's not afraid to um, to make its audience like honest to goodness uncomfortable when they're watching it. And I think comedy should like uh, someone um, I know Matt's if he's still there is a big fan of Observe and Report, which is a recent comedy that really walks that edge. And I mean, some people embrace that movie. A lot of people just ignored it. But I think comedy is vibrant when when you push the edge way beyond what is traditionally or or um, politely funny and you you move it into like comedy and horror. The line should be very thin and it's and even when you go the other way when you have a horror with comedy in it like or a slapstick like a sam raimi kind of movie that also works because the line between those two genres is 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 pretty thin well you could say that um observe and report is to paul blart what um after hours is to adventures and babysitting <laughs> could say that the difference is Adventures in Babysitting is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, there's some clever stuff in this. Like, I really liked the uh, 
there's the opening scene with with Balky, <laughs> where he kind of tunes him out and and completely shuts him down and just starts ignoring what he's saying, and then the whole s- situation gets flipped on him when uh, the uh, when he's giving the massage and she falls asleep and he's telling the story. I mean, like I thought that was pretty awesome and and pretty funny, and uh, yeah, I mean it, it's a it's well written. Uh, I feel like you know there's there's elements of mystery that keep you wondering like, okay, what's up with these people or something weird here. But you know, ultimately it's just this guy getting himself in worse and worse situations. And for me, that really works. Um, you know, the hangover, another recent movie that t- took that formula and, uh, you know, made it a little bit more of a out and out jokey comedy, but, um, still, you know, another movie where it's like you're getting into weirder and weirder situations and it just keeps getting worse. Oh, I liked After Hours because it constantly riffs back. It just keeps spinning and folding in on itself. Like you can actually see that all this running around is literally one city block. And so he he's running to get the car keys, but then he sees something with the Soho, like Linda Florentina's apartment. So he, he goes up there and he tangles it and Cheech and Chong break into every location within the movie. He goes to the German uh, club and... The fact that it's Mohawk Day is pretty awesome. Like every nightclub <laughs> should have Mohawk Day. Um, and again, that, that that's but that scene even plays into the whole social gaff because when the club bouncer is out there and says, uh, "Oh, that guy got in because it's Mohawk Day," the guy's like, "Well, give me a fucking break! You you let that guy in because I look like a square, or whatever." And it is actually <laughs> and that's 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 how he pays for making like it's actually i wonder how much you you said curb your enthusiasm but how much with seinfeld like i mean seinfeld doesn't do it as overtly horrific as this movie but i i mean there has to be a major debt of course those two shows are all the same creators and stuff but that sense yeah, the- of humor seems to have found its prototype here and the fact that everything ties together yeah. and all that. It, it keeps spinning yeah. over and spinning over. It's, it, it, that's why it's almost kind of before its time. It, it's like an early example of that uncomfortable humor um, that is really popular now, like The Office and even Borat and, and like Ali G and all of that, where it's just humor that's completely built on the dismay of someone else and and the uncomfortable social situations that they are put in and how they fail and Seinfeld being the huge one um I mean Marina your it was your problem primarily because the characters were so unsympathetic I think that might have something to do with it but in general I was just really bored by the situations that he kept kept getting himself into I just I don't know, just nothing about it really appealed to me. It may have something to do with the fact that I did I, yeah, I didn't really care for the lead character and for the people that he sort of bumped into. I think, uh, I don't know, I just, nothing about it really worked for me. There was a documentary on the disc that I had, like just a, just a reminiscing uh, about the movie. I don't know, I must have been whenever the DVD was put out, but at what, like Martin Scorsese was not the main not the director because he was making the last temptation of Christ while, while this was going on. But for some reason, his first go around with the last temptation of Christ 
actually collapsed. And he, he came right in to make this movie as just, uh, I need to make something, you know, otherwise I, I feel like shit. And they actually had Tim Burton, like pre anything Tim Burton, like, uh, he, all Tim Burton really knew what, or really did was that Vincent, um, and Frankenweenie, like the, the little shorts he did for Disney. Right. And he was all ready to go and yeah. in pre production, I, which I found fascinating because the movie feels, like broke like what tim burton was famous for i mean it would not look like this if tim burton did it and it would be well, it interesting would be like Pee-wee's big adventure <laughs> which is similar yeah, yeah i guess and uh i guess the, the the story goes at least how it's told in the in this uh documentary is that when he heard that scorsese wanted to do it he actually said i'm not gonna put up a fight i just gracefully back out but it it, it is an interesting thing to think about a um, like a first film, like literally Pee-wee's uh, Big Adventure, which is mm-hmm. the first feature film, uh, if it was after hours instead of um, mm-hmm. instead of Pee-wee Herman. It's it just, it's a fascinating, like I would never think of those two directors to ever have any common interest or common ground. Um, Do you think if Tim Burton did direct After Hours that Scorsese would have taken uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure? <laughs> now that He'd be right be. in there. <laughs> that would have been sweet. I wonder if the what Marina is sort of trying to get her finger on, in terms of it just not interesting, interesting, interesting her, interest, whatever, uh, <laughs> is, <laughs> um, is that it's not quite completely realistic, believable um, situations that he gets into, and they're not completely outlandish either. It's sort of this trying to be kind of a hybrid i mean maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm just throwing it out there but it feels like the beginning is is more believable and and just interesting the the character interactions and the and the things he gets in himself into and then towards the end it it sort of tries to go outlandish and over the top but it isn't quite there i don't know if that makes sense like the the mob the lynch mob running around trying to get him it's well, just sort of I, I have I, to admit, like I kind of expected there to be this one big thing that was coming and it never quite got to the level that maybe I was expecting, but I, it's not that it disappointed me or anything. I mean it's it is either that or or just keep it in more in more subtle um experiences or circumstances because I thought I thought that those slightly more subtle just strange people interacting with him like Lindy Fiorentino with the you know when she's tied to that pole mm-hmm. and stuff and like that's just weird and I like that stuff as soon as it started to get you like it, that stuff turning into like caricature then well I thought the movie's very measured in how it ups the ante I mean it starts it off with very simple he loses his $20 bill through something that could happen to anyone like a down window and and just and it just it slowly escalates Rosanna Arquette is not that outlandish. When you first meet Linda Fiorentino, she's not that outlandish. It just Agreed. each each step is like further down the well, and and I I think it's actually it never really um like it it only goes like in a linear fashion. It never gets in an exponential where you you hit this point and then it just goes truly off the wall and saying I actually thought the movie has a measure of restraint in that it never decides to to go too crazy it just keeps it at very measured doses and that's you where feel it's it building but th- the problem is that it starts to try to push that envelope a little bit and then it doesn't 
So I wish it had either stayed more subdued and sort of been the 25th hour route one, you know, night. Otherwise gone completely crazy. You know, well, I, gone I, the adventures and babysitting road. It, it tries to walk the line in between both. And I, that maybe didn't work for me. I think that's where it's the closest, well, I think- closely, most closely comparable to something like Seinfeld because it reminds me of, you know, Seinfeld had a lot of stuff where it, it is just, you know, riffing on what's socially acceptable and whatnot and people saying the wrong things here and there, but also has things like, you know, when George and Jerry get into that limo with the white supremacist people and they they claim to be they just want to act like they're famous and then people mistake george as the leader of this neo-nazi group and there's like a a (laughs) protest and kramer's out there and and how that builds and they they take it right to the edge on that show and and a lot of the stuff is pretty ridiculous and weird and caricatures like the soup nazi and all these people but they still ride that line and for me that's where after hours exists it 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 just rides that line uh, perfectly. Well, and I think that what doesn't work for me is the comedy. I just I don't find it funny, and that's probably why I really didn't enjoy this. I mean, aside from a couple of moments, like when he finds her tied up and he's trying to figure out exactly what's happened, and when he goes into the guy's apartment and uses the washroom and the toilet overflows, that's about the only two moments when I actually laughed. So, I mean, I think that maybe that's one of the reasons I really didn't care for it. Is just, I just, I could see where maybe it would be funny, but it just didn't make me laugh. Well, I, I would have enjoyed it more if there were more overflowing toilets as well. I, but I, yeah, I, I mean, the, the, I guess there's a, I think shows like The Office and Curb Your Enthusiasm are the same thing where it's a pretty divisive style of comedy i know a lot of people that hate those shows that just don't like that dry uncomfortable comedy where it's i don't know i think a lot of it is performance based the comedy in after hours just reactions and and just the idea like karma can be funny like someone constantly stepping in shit is funny and like the things building up on people can be funny it can be devastating as well but uh sometimes the more devastating it is the more funny it is and the more convenient and and you know predictable it is the more funny it is so you just pile it on to the point where it's like you know the whole saying of you know three times repeating something three times is funny um the fourth time is too much and i think after hours hits it just enough to to keep it funny for me all right are we uh wrapping up after hours I don't have anything else to say other than check out Griffin Dunn and Johnny Dangerously. Okay. Matt, do you want to throw in a, a barb? Uh, no. <laughs> Thumbs down on the whole review, I guess. It's just I'm not I'm not sold. Ouch. Well, uh, I can I can on. Photoshop in some comic book uh, transitions for you if, <laughs> if that's all it takes. You know then it might be good. Yeah. Come on, Matt. When you're talking about the dead girl, for a second I'm thinking, oh, so this is like Weekend at Bernie's, and then no, you you turn it into something else, and it, you lost me. But it is almost like very bad things. <laughs> no, that movie's awesome. I love very bad things. <laughs> you would. 
I would. The thing I'm thinking from this is I need to watch Adventures in Babysitting. Good call. That that movie's great. I love that movie. Well, if if it takes if it takes Martin Scorsese to make you watch a Christopher Columbus film, then uh, I think the Movie Club podcast has done its job. <laughs> it made me want to watch the first Harry Potter. <laughs> but Matt, no, if you like the serious man, a serious man, uh, which I know you do, um, I think you would find this uh, this movie uh, to be a uh, spiritual cousin. Like I, I would say, like definitely in terms of Scorsese films, it's it's surprising in some ways that it's him, in other ways it's not. But it's definitely something worth checking out in in his uh, filmography. And yeah, I could see it being a little too uh, sort of subtle or not even you know not as funny as some people would want it to be. But it is watchable, and um, yeah, I just think. That that whole one crazy night is such a cool concept. If you just do it right, you know you can hook people in, and I feel like that's what this movie did. So, um, yeah. And I mean, it's not like I, I will say this much. I'm glad I saw it. I mean, I may not have enjoyed it as much as I would have liked to or wanted to, but I am happy I saw it. So, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that can mean so many things. They, the, that's the spirit of the movie right there. They, what exactly did that mean? Um, yeah, pretty much. All right. Well, I guess uh, we'll wrap things up here. Uh, looking ahead to the next episode, which may be a month from now, maybe two months from now. I'm not sure. But it looks like uh, Errol Morris is the thin blue line. Uh, won the poll on the site so that's our first choice and our second choice is going to be Werner Herzog's Strojcek Strojcek um, so get uh, Netflixing those you guys said they're on Netflix watch instantly is that right both of those movies are available for rent and free streaming if you're a Netflix member yeah cool so um, so yeah definitely we'll be uh, watching those next time and, of course, we'll have another poll up on the site. Um, if you have things you want to discuss about the Warriors and After Hours, we certainly invite you to head over to movieclubpodcast.com and uh, leave some comments and let us know what you thought of the movies. And if you have other suggestions of movies you'd like us to talk about in a future episode, you can email us or you can leave a comment about that as well. So... Um, I guess that's about it. We'll uh, call it quits for this week on the Movie Club Podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Take the last train of Clarksville. Now I must hang up the phone. I can't hear you in this noisy railroad station. All alone, I feel